0: Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Good Good Judgment Judgment podcast.
1: Podcast. Folks, this is a podcast that's purpose is for Georgia judges or anybody else who might be interested in what goes on in the courtroom. Please understand that we are Georgia focused, meaning that we're going to focus our attention on issues that arise under Georgia law. But occasionally we will get into some subjects of common interest. And we really appreciate you folks listening.
0: And as we go to the studio audience, we ask, please hold your applause till the end. All
1: right. Now to the studio. Hello, folks, and welcome to the Good Judgment Podcast. I'm Wade Padgett.
0: And I'm Tane Kell.
1: And we are really fortunate, Tane, to have a pretty special person with us today.
0: Wade, that's kind of you to say. <laughs> okay. Oh, you mean the other guy. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, you're always with us.
0: Yeah, that's right. That's
1: right. Kind of like a bad penny. You keep showing up. Just keep turning it up, man. So, Tane, I know that you have been – um engaged, I guess is the right word, in, in, some, in some webinars and things. Anything new and exciting happen in that front since we were here together, I guess, about a week or so ago?
0: Well, yeah, you and I, of course, have been on a lot of webcasts and tuning into some things just to try to get some ideas. But today I was on a panel uh, for one of the local uh, sections of the bar and they asked a question and it was really kind of thought provoking. And so I thought I'd share it with you. The question was just tell us three takeaway things that you've learned in the course of this pandemic. And so they gave us questions ahead of time. So I had some chance to think about it. And so the three that I came up with were these number one, top of the list is people don't like change. And then number two is... People or judges? Well, judges are, are right at the top of that list. But yeah, people don't like change. And then, And then number two is, if you want people to hear what you're saying, you have to click the little red microphone thing down at the bottom left of the screen. And then the number three thing that I've learned that I will carry with me well beyond this pandemic is people really don't like change. <laughs> those
1: those are my three. You know, it is um in what you said is serious and I know you're you're half kidding and half serious, but at the same time, we've had some people produce during this crisis. We've we've had some people think way outside the box and yeah. come up with solutions where there are more problems than potential solutions, you know.
0: Yeah, and you know, we we'll, we will forever be uh, beholden to those people. And one of the things the chief justice alludes to in a little bit and I won't spoil it, but uh, one of the things I think he's going to talk about is just people have offered up ideas with no hope of credit or enhancing themselves or whatever. It's just been one of the real joys of or, or bright spots of an otherwise, you know, kind of dark time, so um, but but today's an exciting day, Wade. And uh, as always, we want to thank our listeners for being with us here on the Good Judgment Podcast. Don't forget you can always get in touch with us, ask questions, or give us comments at goodjudgepod at gmail.com.
1: Man, you wouldn't believe. You know, we we used the the email a lot last week and told everybody about it. You know how many emails we got? A thousand? Zero. Wow. Come on, folks. We wanna we wanna help you help us. Send some email. Goodjudgepod maybe, at gmail dot com. Maybe we should get an
0: answering machine.
1: Oh my God. We're struggling with the phone and thing. <laughs> um, folks, we seriously, we we could not have asked for a more pleasant and and more willing participant than our special guest today. I just couldn't believe how he talked about Justice Boggs the way he normally does. I mean, I just and never...
0: clearly some bad blood there. So uh listen carefully, folks. So we're really happy to have a very special guest, uh, with us today. And with that, take it away, Wade.
1: We're honored to have as our guest on the podcast today, a man who has been as, I guess, busy as anyone in the judicial system of Georgia, at least during this pandemic. When we say this pandemic caught us completely unprepared, our guest is the man who every judge and every class of court in Georgia looked to for answers and the man that Tain repeatedly refers to as having vast powers. That's correct,
0: and that's because he does. We are honored to have as our special guest on the podcast the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court of Georgia, Justice Harold Melton. Mr. Chief Justice, we're incredibly honored to welcome you to the Good Judgment podcast today. Well, thank you, Judge Kell. Thank you, Judge Padgett. It's an honor to be with you. Well, I wanted to start out today... uh, to to, uh, talk a little bit about your background. But the first thing I wanted to bring up, uh, Mr. Chief Justice, is a a little story that you told me recently about an appointment that you got by the then Chief Justice of the Supreme Court. uh, uh, I believe it was Chief Justice Sears, uh, way back in, I think, 2007, uh, to some insignificant uh, get together that was happening that was something like a pandemic task force. Tell our yeah. listeners a little bit about that.
2: So I was relatively new to the court and trying to make friends as best I could. And just, Chief Justice Sears called me into our office and asked me to chair this pandemic planning committee. Uh, and I said yes, because I'm trying to make friends. But in, in the back of my mind, I, I viewed it as the committee to prepare for the sky to fall. And uh, so I said yes, and we, we did it. And the more we got into the, the planning and meeting, it, it turned out to be really interesting. The public health officials told us that pandemics were real. It's a matter of time. They said it's not if, but when. And uh, you need to plan for a 90-day period. And so we had a bench book, and we were one of the few states in the country that had a bench book in the event of a pandemic ready to go. So it answered all the questions that we thought of, but, but of course, when the pandemic hit, we had to answer all the questions we had not thought of, and there were plenty of those.
0: Well, so for our listeners, that just means that, you know, even back in 2007, you were preparing for what uh, what ultimately occurred. Well, could you tell us a little bit about your background? I know folks would like to hear a little bit more about your background as you became Chief Justice. So kind of go back a little bit further and set the stage for us.
2: Well, I'll, I'll start. As, Far back as uh, just growing up in, in East Point in Cobb County, and went to Auburn University for undergrad, majored in international business. Went to the University of Georgia for law school. Uh, Turned your life around. There you go. Uh, well, graduated from law school, took a job in the Georgia Department of Law, working for then Attorney General Michael Bowers. Worked for Thurbert Baker. Uh, when Governor Perdue got elected, he uh, he invited me to to join him on their team as his executive counsel, and I worked for him for two and a half years. He appointed me to the Supreme Court in 2005, and uh, I guess I've been chief for about a year and a half, a little over.
1: Just out of curiosity, for those of us who don't know, is that a matter of seniority? Is that a matter of voting? Are you in there for a term of years? How does that work? So
2: it's a little bit of all that. It is something that uh, is voted on by the peers of my court, But it's also something that traditionally follows seniority, and it is a four-year term.
1: So what's it like when your friends vote you in as chief justice? Everything seems to be going along swimmingly, and the unprecedented pandemic strikes across Georgia, and everybody goes, all right, chief, how do we do everything?
0: Yeah, you know, the sky falls the way that it wasn't supposed to.
2: Right, and then you gotta figure out what to do with it. Uh, I'll tell you, it, it is intimidating. And, you know, you, we talk in concept about things that will happen and how you plan and how you adjust. And, uh, but when it hits, it becomes real. And it becomes real when you hear about judges that you know who, who have contracted the virus and their families are impacted. And you get the panic call from somebody in the clerk's office in whatever county because their file clerk has just been contaminated and everybody's panicking. It became very, very real. Uh, I, I will say a couple of things really stand out during that time. There there are some real core principles that rise to the top that you hold on to. One of the core principles was, one, we've got to be safe. But two, we've got to keep the courthouses open. There are cer- certain functions that only the courts can do and they help keep the fabric of society working. And, and we have to maintain the baseline functions of, the, of what the judicial system is supposed to, to, to serve. So those were other core purposes that we held on to. And the other thing that I think really stood out during this time, and I've heard y'all talk about this on some of your other podcasts, but our leadership throughout the judiciary is absolutely amazing. And I didn't know as much of that as I do now. But if I look at every class of court, I look at our bar leadership, I look at our court leadership, we've got some of the best talent we've ever had in all those positions all across the board. And it's really amazing that everybody steps up and grabs a piece of the of the task at hand in a moment such as this. And so that's, that's making all the difference in the world.
0: You know- Mr. Chief Justice, I know you've been on way more of these calls than I have, but we've all been on, you know, Zoom call after Zoom call and webinars and all sorts of things, gathering information and trying to find ideas and and share ideas. But it has been amazing uh, when you get a group of people who come from all kinds of different backgrounds and who live in different areas and all of that, and you ask them to put their heads together and come up with ideas, it is amazing. Um, what they can do, and particularly in a short period of time.
2: It is, and what I'm seeing is not only do we have all the talent and people who are putting their heads together, but I I see no pride of authorship. I don't see anybody trying to uh, boost their profile within the judiciary. Uh, We do have some panic from time to time, but once we get over the panic, we get in a problem-solving mode real quick, and so uh, we are working by consensus we have disagreements. We want disagreements, but we've been able to work through every single one of them. Well, yesterday, the second order extending the Declaration
0: of Statewide Judicial Emergency was entered. I, I'm, I'm sure you're well aware of that since you helped author that. Yes, sir. Uh, but rather than go through that document point by point, which, uh, which I'm sure our listeners would enjoy, but what I'd like to do is just see if you could help identify some of the areas where that Uh, policy has changed, where the the judicial emergency declaration has changed from the first extension order that was entered. And give us some of the the most outstanding points of that second order, if you could. Well, let me back up, if I can, to
2: the original order. The original order basically said, whoa, Nelly, everything back to the bone. We're going to go to the core critical essential functions and do only those critical core functions, those which are necessary to protect health, and safety. The first extension started loosening up on that. We started exercising the ability to do video conferencing. And uh, and so we are doing a little bit more. So this order basically does away with the critical and essential functions test and urges the courts to start building back services. As long as you could do two things, either do it by video conference or do it by in-person proceedings in a way that maintains compliance with safety protocols. So as long as you can do those, those things, then let's go ahead and open up those court proceedings. So we give the courts authority to, on a case-by-case basis, start moving those cases, putting an order in place where you have the, the timelines cr- clearly established and start moving cases along those, those lines. The other thing we asked the judges to do, and this is somewhat burdensome, we, we realize we've asked the courts to develop safety plans for their courthouse before they engage in extensive in-court proceedings. And the reason why we did that is because we were hearing from a number of stakeholders that they were concerned about being called into court, being compelled to come into court, and not knowing whether their their safety would be accounted for on the front end. So we want these plans to be established and then pushed out to the public so people can see before they have to get in their car that their their safety will be accounted for. So those are the two big picture items that I think make up the bulk of what what that new order is is trying to accomplish.
1: You know the 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 order that you sent out yesterday also included, I guess, a second document um, that was dealt with grand juries in, in terms of court and, and those sorts of things. It sounds like when you say there's collaboration, there's even among cl- collaboration among your fellow justices.
2: Our justices are f- first and f- foremost in the front line of what we're talking about in terms of collaboration. Uh, our presiding justice, David Namias, Justice Blackwell, Justice Boggs, Justice uh, Peterson, uh, they have really developed an expertise in certain areas that have have been critical. So Justice Blackwell has been the grand jury term of court expert as we figure out how to climb out of this this crisis and get back moving. How do you restart uh, the grand jury process and how does that relate to the terms of court? Justice Peterson has been front and center on all the rule changes that have happened. And uh, Justice, Justice Peterson and Justice Blackwell have been engaged with the bar. So all the rule changes to, to have a, a temporary lac- license to practice law, uh, all those were worked through through the assistance and efforts of Justice Blackwell and Justice Peterson. And Justice Namius is just over everything. He's just in it and he's, re- he's engaged in every bit of it. And, uh, and uh, Justice, Bo- uh, Justice Boggs has been working, of course, with the, the, uh, the processes of bail reform and how do you empty out the jails and, in a way that makes sense, but complying with the victim's bill of rights, making sure the judges don't just hand over their authority to the sheriffs, but make sure there's still judicial oversight. So it has absolutely been a, a team effort on our court.
1: We know your time is valuable and, and, and that you've probably you probably at least thought you answered every question that could possibly be answered, but it, believe it or not, we've got questions from both our listeners and our colleagues that we would like to get your thoughts on. Okay. All right. All right. The first one deals with how this second extension order impacts probate judges who handle cases involving estates.
0: Now I wonder where that question came from judge Padgett. Uh, uh, our listeners know that my favorite Judge Paget is uh, Judge Alice Paget at probate court and uh, over in uh, the Augusta area and uh, also married to Judge Wade Paget. And uh, I'm sensing a little pillow talk here. Anyway, go ahead, Wade. I'm sorry to interrupt you. Ask, ask Judge Alice's question.
1: Okay. So, for example, in probate court, when someone files for letters of administration to handle an estate, even where all the heirs consent to the appointment and to the powers being granted to that person, the court is required to publish notice in the legal organ of the county for a month. It is literally addressed, quote, to whom it may concern end quote. Can the judge utilize this, that section, I guess, of the second extension order that just came out yesterday that gives the judge's authority to reimpose deadlines, to give anyone who might object whatever amount of time they should have had from the beginning before I guess the judicial emergency was declared and then move forward with issuing the letters of administration or same thing with like a year support?
2: Well, let me say a couple of things on the front end. One is you know, some of my best friends are probate court judges. So I think that needs to be said. Then two, um, they're, they're, within the universe of court proceedings, there are certain proceedings that are very, very easy to apply these these rules about how you reopen the timelines. And then there are proceedings that are a little bit more difficult and raise more questions. Uh, The question you just asked is probably on the more difficult end of the spectrum, where you're trying to give notice to unknown entities uh, and unknown persons. That's a little bit more difficult, uh, both from a legal standpoint and from a practical standpoint. And so one of the things we've tried to do is build in this big picture sense of how we want the courts to operate during this time under this new order. And that is push, 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 but actually ex- exercise some good judgment too. And so, if you realize that somebody didn't get notice or they got it late, then you just have to exercise some judgment and back up. And the fact that you might have to back up might mean that that n- might not be the kind of case that you move forward on first. But these are real, just tough judgment calls that, ju- that judges will have to make. There are no good, clean answers. And that's just inherent in the kind of space that we're operating in right now.
1: Yeah. I guess when you say unprecedented, it literally means without precedent. So. right. Tane, you got some questions?
0: Yeah. Uh, when judge paget started that last question it reminded me of a question i've been wanting answered for a long time if two trains leave the station at the same <laughs> time and one is going sitting no, down never mind um one of the issues mr chief justice that we have been discussing we even talked about it a little bit on the podcast but something that's going on for a while is that once we resume this concept that we call jury trials something we used to do um we might not be able to do things, obviously, the same way we've always done them, depending on where we are in terms of the pandemic and, and uh, certain social distancing requirements and all of that. Uh, and so one of the things that we were talking about is doing jury selection uh, in the way that we did at BC, which before Corona, uh, and the way that we might do it afterward. Do you have any thoughts about things uh, that have been tossed around, like, for example trying to do uh, jury selection via video conference.
2: Well, one of the things that happened on our, since this pandemic hit is we've been having weekly meetings of the judicial council, which as you know, is the governing body for all the judiciary ties, all the various classes of courts and the, uh, uh, adjutant agencies together in one governing body. And in one of those meetings, presiding Justice Namius urged the council to begin thinking creatively, realizing that whatever it was we were doing before won't be done the same way. We have to get outside the box and uh, be open-minded about new ways of doing things. Well, at the end of that meeting, I got an email from a fellow named Judge Wade Padgett who asked, what about doing... Vor dire by video conferencing. And so I, I took that question and sent it to the National Center for State Courts. The executive director responded back and said, great that you would ask that question. We'd love for you to be on the task force to, to help look into those concerns. And so now I've been on two uh, subcommittees that are ask, asking those very questions. So the answer is there is going to be something done in that space that's different than we're doing now. There are states all across the country seriously looking at not only doing voir dire by video conferencing, but bench trials and even jury trials. Huge, huge barriers that you have to overcome to get there. Let's, let's not de-emphasize that. There are huge, huge barriers, especially you get to jury trials. But there are there are real um, Real hard looks given at the idea of doing voir by video conferencing. Some of the issues that you have to overcome are, uh, besides the just logistical technical aspect, how do you how you uh, overcome the technology divide? Some people don't have computers. Some people just might have a cell phone. Some people might have a cell phone but limited minutes. Do you make them use those minutes? What if you don't have um, a hotspot that, that that with good connectivity? Things along those lines. So, uh, the director he actually was on a conference call, Zoom meeting yesterday, and she was talking about conversations that he, she is having with AT&T to kind of create a um, a cyber cafe, a mobile cafe, where you actually pull up into a parking lot, get a hotspot, and 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 have the the device available to to, in, to, to go online and do your video. Vor there. But what about the winter? What about the summer? <laughs> you know, a lot of practical concerns. But there's a lot of math going in that question. Wade and I were on a, a
0: webinar call, I think, that, that you gave us the heads up about that was a nationwide webinar on just ideas about things like jury trials going forward. And I, Wade, would it be fair to say that when this topic came up about 1200 of the 4200 people lost their mind at the very thought of you know us trying to do something like that by video
1: well one of the things that 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 was that was just not hysterical but sad is that they were thinking on their first blush how in the world are we going to verify that this is actually the juror not his brother i mean we're gonna have to work through all that nobody's saying we're going to be reckless about this and we're just going to let people right. call in like you're on a you know a nighttime radio show.
2: <laughs> that's true. So a, a lot of the questions that come up in that in that space deal with how do you truly invoke the rule of sequestration? How do you make sure that people aren't recording and and or being coached off to the side? Uh, and some of the answers I've got, at least for the moment are that there's no good answer. and so you open up some inherent risk when you go to that process. but there there are courts across the country, that are experimenting with jury trials in Texas. I believe in the next week and a half or so, they have uh, what they call summary trials or summary judgment trials, something to that effect. Where before you actually try the case, you can try the case, and they're going to use uh, uh, they're going to use that as an opportunity to experiment with uh, with a video jury trial.
0: Yeah, Texas seems to be way out in the forefront of at least experimenting with. Video trials and some things like that, at least from the call Wade and I were on, and a couple of emails that I've yeah. uh, received from th- places.
1: You know, that last question, Chief, sort of raises a more global issue. Some of our judges, and some of them specifically in Superior Court, serve communities that have just been absolutely devastated by the virus. Some of them, however, thankfully, have really not experienced the same sort of outbreak. Does the second extension order that was issued yesterday allow judges? locally some flexibility based upon the effects the virus has had on those different communities?
2: It does. One of the things we heard from the judges on the Judicial Council meetings was that they wanted that flexibility. I personally think it was built into the statutory scheme, but this order expressly says it. If there is a locality that has a particular high need to be more restrictive, the chief judge in that circuit has the ability to to adopt whatever Public health safety guidelines are unique to that environment.
0: That's great. Well, Mr. Justice, yesterday a second document was released in conjunction with the uh, the extension of the emergency order that was called uh, guidance on grand jury proceedings under the Chief Justice's second order extending declaration of statewide judicial emergency. Uh, can you just take a moment to talk about that document and what you what you see
2: it as uh, as doing? So this one's a little bit more technical, uh, and it goes to what a, an existing grand jury can do. Again, Justice Keith Blackwell has become our resident grand jury expert, but to the extent that there is a, a pressing need, and you have a jury that's already been called in, it was it was impaneled prior to the declaration, That that grand jury can be organized and called to order to address this high-pressing need. As long as you determine that it's necessary, that's essential to the administration of justice, and that uh, doing so would cause delay that would impair the delivery of justice, uh, and it could be safely conducted, then it greenlights that grand jury to deal with every needs, whatever needs to be addressed. And it seems to give the local
0: jurisdictions a little bit of flexibility in determining the Mechanics of how to do that. In other words, in other words, how to social distance people and that's right. keep, that, keep that safe. Uh, and, that's right.
2: You know, and, that, and that exists throughout the order as well. As as we ask the courts to come up with a plan, some of the judges were are saying, well, that could be pretty detailed. Tell us how to do that. And fortunately, we do have judges like Judge Lagrue who or who have been working on a task force that is working on some general. Overarching principles, but the reality is every courthouse is different. And the plans need to be, uh, need to have in mind how do you walk in the door? How do you go through the security line? How do you get on the elevators? And that might be done with tape on the floor, ropes, rearranging furniture. And so you really can't do that in a one size fits all manner. But each judge, each court is going to have to work out those plans and, and give those assurances.
1: Judge, in our last episode, we were looking at a bunch of the reopening plans we had gotten from different jurisdictions. Some of them were even federal courts that had we had seen their uh, examples. And several of those plans anticipated the possibility that we're going to start here, but the effects of the virus might ebb and flow. So you may have to actually step back before you step forward. I know this was listed as the second uh, judicial order. Is there a way for, in this current, I guess, second order for people to step forward and back as the ebb and flow happens with the virus?
2: I think so. There uh, there is way. There are ways to step forward and back. There's a lot of control within the jurisdictions, and it's the judges that can decide what their capacity is to take on new cases as they open up. We're just urging them to, to do that, and we're doing that because while this this pandemic is, is is upon us. Everything is sitting. And meanwhile, that backlog is just building and building. And so when this pandemic comes to a close, those floodgates are gonna open and anything we can do to, to mitigate that backlog will be very helpful. It's still gonna be very difficult.
0: When this pandemic first exploded across the state and you entered the initial judicial emergency declaration, we all realized that we were unprepared, at least uh, in, a, in, a, in a kind of global sense. And so in quick order, we tried to find ways to do our work. And one of the ways that we, uh, that we used and are still using is uh, the use of video technology. Do you foresee that technology remaining a part of our judicial processes and maybe even being expanded in
2: the future, despite whatever course the pandemic might take? I do think we will be d- using video conferencing more. Um, one, we've become more comfortable with the technology and we will have overcome some of these barriers and obstacles that heretofore we thought were insurmountable. But now that we know that, you know, how to make it work, how to work around some of these things that we thought were were, were problems and barriers, I do think we will we will always use them in some form or fashion. It saves some of the travel costs. Uh, it, it, uh, you know, moving inmates from the jails to the, to the courthouse, I'm, I'm not sure how much of that we will do again. Uh, and it just wouldn't make sense to. Uh, the judges have been so creative and you stumble upon solutions that you weren't particularly looking for. And I think we're there in many, in many ways. So I don't think we're going back. We had a lot of rule changes that were put in on a temporary basis. Ah, uh, some of those may stay. Some of them may stay in a different version, but I don't think we're going to go back to where we were. Now you did
0: uh, video arguments at the Supreme Court, didn't you? Yes. And yes. and how did that go? Any any Justice Sotomayor moments where you know nobody <laughs> knew how to click on the little
2: microphone or whatever?
1: Or somebody flushing a toilet?
2: We didn't have any toilets flushing. Um, I'm <laughs> nice. pleased to say that's awesome. Um, we, we've I believe we've had two full weeks of oral arguments. And we're about to start up again next week, and it went surprisingly well. Uh, is the is the are the reviews I've gotten from our bench? Uh, I don't think we'll go back to that as our baseline, but I don't imagine that we'll eliminate it as an option completely. When when this when this is over, it's just so
1: doable and so easy. So, Chief, we know that we've taken up way too much of your time, and you've got a lot of other things to do, and we really do appreciate your time here, but. As you see the trends right now, we know you don't have a magic ball, but as you see them going right now, do you anticipate having to issue another extension to this order? And you talked a little bit about uh, Judge LaGrua, and maybe talk a little bit about the task force that she's on and how that's all coming together.
2: So in the extension order, that's one of the things I probably should have mentioned as a key part. We call for the creation of a, uh, COVID-19 task force that is made up of a cross section of all the classes of court. Uh, I do think our clerk of court needs to be, our clerks of court need to be represented as well because they have a a large role in administration of the courthouse. Um, but their task is to help us with plans on how we operate going forward. How do we dig out of this backlog? How do we uh, maintain safety uh, once the crisis is over, but still have to be watchful. Uh, and so we have a task force and Judge Laguerre has agreed to chair it. We're still putting it together. Hopefully we can issue an order uh, probably tomorrow at the latest, ideally, uh, that will get that ball moving and it will help the courts with their long-term planning and safety plans for operating going forward, including best best practice for practices for video uh, use of voir dire, grand juries, I don't think we'll get jury trials, but we'll we'll stop there. If we can accomplish something along those lines, that would be very, very significant. You asked also about whether I envision further extension. I think we'll almost have to, if for no other purpose than this, I believe this is true with probate court and maybe some other classes of court, there are certain timelines that once you hit go, certain types of cases have to operate on certain timelines. We'll have too many cases going on those timelines at 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 once in order to meet that those requirements, and so I think we'll have to have an extension, just a lot just to allow courts to reset those timelines, uh, so they don't have to deal with all those cases all at one time. Absolutely, well,
0: you, you know that leads really into the next thing I, that I wanted to ask, and as we're kind of wrapping up here, but I know our judges are chomping at the bit to get back to work. Um, We know we face some serious potential backlogs once we come back online, even on a limited basis. As you've been hard at work fielding questions from basically every corner of the legal field, and you're still trying to move forward with the traditional business of the Supreme Court, what are you finding the general attitude to be of the judges out there in all of the classes of court with regard to getting things back to normal or or proceeding
2: towards more of a normal routine? I think you're right. They're they're ready to work. Judges, um, I, I'm impressed. More and more are there to get the job done. They they seem somewhat restless, knowing that not just work is piling up because it's just not about the widgets. They they are stressed that that the lives that that they're there to impact and to referee disputes upon. Are are being left unattended to, and I think they're ready to get to to the business of reestablishing the order that they're called upon to reestablish. These judges that that we have are mission oriented, and they feel somewhat at a loss that they're not able to fulfill their their mission, and it's just not sitting well with them, and and so. They're ready to get to work. They're ready to restore order and uh, fulfill their calling.
1: Well, Chief, we realize that you have probably been asked more questions. Maybe Governor Kemp has you by a few, but but you have been asked more questions in the last couple of months than almost any other person in Georgia. And I'm going to say this because I know this doesn't make you feel comfortable, but it's it'll be okay. You have, you have honestly led the judiciary through this storm, and you have found that little sweet spot between patience and strong leadership. You have been willing to listen. You've listened to everybody who had things to say, but you've also conducted town hall meetings where you went looking for more questions, like you did, I guess, the last couple of weeks. We just want to thank you on behalf of the judiciary, not just the podcast, but on behalf of Tane and myself and my wife and everybody else, we want to thank you for taking the time to answer those questions from, um, from Tane and I. We're going to, I guess, thank you for taking the time to be on our podcast. It really means the world to us when you repeatedly prove just how accessible and responsive you really are. So again, thank you for your time today and what you do for the judiciary more globally. Thank,
2: thank you, you're kind to say that, but you two judges are prime examples of what, what I'm talking about, and we'll talk about to anybody who asks. Uh, your leadership, and you're doing this, you don't have to do what you're doing here, but it's part of calming the ship, and I'm grateful.
1: Well, Chief, thanks again for being here on our, our, as our special guest. I, I hopefully this will satiate Tane's um, fascination with you, for at least for a little while. Again, I didn't thanks. even scratch the surface. <laughs> thanks thanks to our loyal listeners for t- tuning in to the Good Judgment podcast. And as usual, I'm Wade Paget,
0: And I'm Tane Kell. And this is the Good Judgment podcast. And don't forget, CDC guidelines require you to wash your hands for 20 seconds after podcasting.
1: Thank you, folks, for listening to the Good Judgment podcast. This podcast was originally the brainchild of Mr. Doug Ashworth, the Executive Director of ICJE. Special thanks to the University of Georgia College of
0: Law and specifically Jim Henneberger uh, for their technical assistance and providing the studio for us.
1: Thanks as always to Stephen Turner and Turner Up Media who does his best to get as much of our stupidity as he can. But he can't get it all. We are eternally grateful to CSCJ, the Council Superior Court Judges, for allowing us to handle and their support in this project. Folks, these are our own opinions. They represent the opinions of Wade Padgett and Tane Kell, and do not reflect the opinions of the Council Superior Court judges, UGA College of Law, ICJE, or really anybody else for that matter. You can contact us at our website at goodjudgepod.com, or you can contact us on email at goodjudgepod at gmail.com. Folks, please rate and review our podcast on whatever listening app you may be using. It'll go a long way to help others find the podcast. So, Tane, I guess we better bang the gavel on this one. Anything else you feel like we need to say? No, that's all, Wade.
0: Thanks for listening to the Good Judge Men Podcast.